We're going to start a new chapter. We're going to actually go all the way through the chapter 15 of Revelation because it's only eight verses long. So praise God, every once in a while we get a short chapter that we can actually cover in one week, one session. So let's turn to Revelation 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. The title of this message is A Prelude to Wrath. So this chapter 15 is obviously a bridge between chapter 14 and chapter 16. Let's read that together. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the last seven plagues. For in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word. We pray that once again your Holy Spirit would teach us and lead us into all truth. We thank you for that promise that you would send the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Lord, just feed our spirits now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John sees yet another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. And so once again, we've seen throughout this book of Revelation, the scenario keeps shifting from heaven to earth to heaven to earth. So we see what's happening in the heavenlies, and then we see how it plays out and manifests here on planet Earth. What is this great and marvelous sign? He sees seven angels having the seven last plagues. Previously, we had witnessed the seven trumpet judgments, and now God's going to wrap things up with the seven bowl judgments. Notice the repetitiveness of the number seven being the number of fulfillment, perfection, completion, and so this final seven bowls of wrath, as we read here in this ch chapter 15, will complete or fulfill the outpouring of God's wrath on planet Earth. God never starts anything that he doesn't finish. And so his judgment, his wrath, will be completed with the completion of these seven bowl judgments. Seven angels having the seven last Plagues. Notice the word plagues. I find that very interesting in light of what's been happening in our world lately. From the Noah Webster 1828 Dictionary, Noah Webster was a Christian. And if you want really good, solid definitions for whatever word you're looking for a definition for, that's a great place to find it. You can get it on the internet, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. He was a very strong believer, and so you find godly content within his definitions but at any rate it says plague noun latin plaga a stroke not like a stroke when you have a stroke but like a striking a plague the primary sense is a stroke or striking so afflict afflict the word afflict is from the root of flog and probably of the same family as plague and then he gives a more applicable definition, a pestilential disease, an acute, malignant, and contagious disease. And of course, this was written in the 1800s. So he says, a, an acute, malignant, and contagious disease that often prevails 
in Egypt, Syria, and Turkey. So even as in today's world, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it isn't just COVID-19 that came out of China. All the serious epidemics and pandemics over the past 20 or 30 years have all originated in China. Have you noticed that? I'm not slamming the Chinese people, I'm just saying. That's where they came from for whatever reason. And so, but in, in Webster's day, it was the Middle East. It was Egypt, Syria, Turkey, and has at times, he says, infected the large cities of Europe with frightful mortality. Keep in mind, this was written almost 200 years ago. That's Webster's definition of a plague. And here we see in Revelation 15, the last seven bold judgments referred to as plagues. You think that could be significant in terms of the times we're now living in? And by the way, there are many who are predicting, and when I say many, I mean in the scientific community, you know, the various uh, upper echelon, if you will, of those who rule over or govern our planet and so forth. They're predicting potential for many more similar plagues to the one we've been experiencing for the past year and a half. I don't say that to scare anyone, freak anyone out, but by the way, the Bible says it too. And if you don't want to believe the world leaders, rulers, elites, technocrats, autocrats, scientific community, you can certainly believe God. And God says the same thing. The seven last plagues, which, again, I'm very thankful and grateful that we won't be here for. But many people will, and we need to pray for them. We need to be concerned about them. We need to try and win as many as possible to Christ. The time is short. Okay, for in them, these seven last plagues, the wrath of God is complete. As we said, the number seven, fulfillment, completion, perfection. In this case, the fulfillment of God's, or completion of God's judgment on a wicked, unbelieving, Satan-worshipping world. And again, we see how in the tribulation, the Antichrist will become personally possessed, inhabited, and dwelt by Satan. But we also see even now, pre-tribulation, a, a tremendous rise in satanic worship, satanic practices and rituals, witchcraft, and so forth. People are seeking supernatural power. They just don't want to get it from God. Because when you get supernatural power from God, it's under his control, not yours. Satan deceives people into believing they actually have the power. But he uses them for his malicious purposes, and when he's done with them, they are destroyed. All right, verse 2. I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. This describes, if you will, the floor of God's throne room. It's like a sea of glass mingled with fire. It must be quite awesome, wouldn't you say? This is the floor in God's heavenly throne room slash temple. Revelation 4, 6. This is John describing what he sees. And the beginning of chapter 4, if you can remember that far back, because we've been in this book quite a while. Beginning of chapter 4 is where we saw the symbolism representing the rapture of the church. After the uh, letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, the very beginning of Revelation 4, God tells John, come up here. And that we see to be the rapture of the church. And then he sees this, the throne. Before the throne, verse 4, or verse 6 of chapter 4, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, the cherubim, full of eyes in front and back. And so John saw this vision of the, 
of the sea of glass before God's throne. And here we see it again, only this time the description is added, the fiery uh, aspect of it. And then he says, he sees those who have the victory. And so that we see that the privilege of entering into the very presence of God is what John sees here, these people before the throne who have the victory. That privilege of entering into the presence of God is reserved for those who have the victory, first of all, over death, over Hades, and hell. And then we see also over the world and Satan. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Paul says, so when this corruptible, speaking of his own corruptible body, has put on incorruption when he's received his immortal resurrected body, this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And so if you have the victory in Christ, and John sees these before the throne, and I believe specifically he's speaking about the tribulation martyrs here because he says victory over the beast and his image, his mark. But all believers can and should walk in victory over death, over Hades and hell. Because what happens when you die? You either go to heaven or you go to hell. Let's just be quite honest and blunt about it. So when you have the victory, you have victory over death, over Hades, over hell, and then over the world, over Satan, 1 John 5, 4, for whatever or whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. When he speaks of the world, he's speaking of the satanic world system because Jesus himself referred to Satan as the prince of this world. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, they turned rulership of this planet over to Satan. God had made man and woman the king and queen of the earth. He'd given them dominion over the earth, over the plants and the animals and every part of creation, but they forfeited that when they disobeyed God and fell into sin. So when we talk about overcoming the world, having victory over the world, it is victory over this satanic world system. And John says this is the victory, our faith. And so what does that tell us, folks? There can be no victory without faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And Paul said we fix our eyes on that which is not seen. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And you go down to verse 6 of Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is or he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Notice the word diligently. God expects us to put some effort into seeking him. Not that he's hard to find, but some people uh, are so flippant and so casual about it. Oh yeah, I tried that Jesus stuff. Did you really? Did you really seek him with your whole heart? The Bible said those who seek him with their whole hearts will find him. I would say Jesus set the example when he died on the cross for our sins, right? Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus didn't go halfway for us, did he? He went all the way. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not sure we think about or talk about victory enough. I did a message many years ago taken out of Romans, I believe it was chapter 1, called From Victim to Victor. And it's sad that so many people, even Christians, go through life with a victim mentality. God did not send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that we could go through life living like, feeling like, believing that we are victims. We have the victory through Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a believer 
then I say, yeah, you are a victim. You are a victim of the enemy. You are a victim of this satanic world system. When we've talked about abortion in the past, I've tried to make it clear I am not judging or condemning women who have had abortions. I don't think they should. And probably when they realize that they shouldn't have, then it would be appropriate to, to repent, to ask God for forgiveness. But I see them as victims of a, of a demonic, satanic world system, convincing them that it's perfectly okay to do it, that it's, the baby is not a real human being, right? It's a fetus. And you, it's your body, you know, my body, my choice. Sadly, young girls, teenagers, adults, women have been brainwashed into believing that that is not a real human being in there and it's just a medical procedure. And at the same time, our society has promoted and encouraged women and men to engage in illicit sexual activity, which, in case you didn't know that, usually means you get pregnant, unless you use birth control. Now, with the widespread availability of birth control, and I have my own private opinions about that as well, why, why in God's green earth do women go out and get pregnant out of wedlock? Either don't do it or do something to prevent it. That's much better than waiting till you get pregnant and then killing the baby. Hello? And these lustful, fleshly, carnal men, they don't give a rip. They don't care at all. They're just in it for self-gratification. Right? Why do women let men use them like that? It's been going on for thousands of years and I don't get it. We're all corrupt, fallen sinners. But my point is, if you're not a believer, yeah, you are a victim of this world system, this satanic world system and the prince of this world, Satan. Whether it's a drug addiction, whether it's sexual impurity, immorality, abortion, alcoholism, you name it. Yeah, you are a victim, but you don't have to be one because Jesus can set you free. In Christ, we are no longer victims. We are victors. And we need to believe it. We need to know it. We need to live it. Live like a victor because Jesus says you are one. He has given you the victory. There can be no victory without faith. John refers to it here, 1 John 5, 4. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. But actually, when you really dig down into it, our faith, it does not originate with us. It comes from God. Romans 12, 3. Paul says, For I say through the grace given to me, what's grace? It's God's unmerited favor. It's a gift. Through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, exactly the opposite of what the world tells you. Oh, you need to learn to love yourself. You need to build up your self-esteem. You need to learn how great you are. Now, when I say we're victors, that's a whole different ballgame. I'm not saying you're great or I'm great. I'm saying he's great. He lives in you. You are a victor. Our faith doesn't originate with us. Paul says... Stay humble. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. It didn't start with you. It didn't come from you. He gave you the faith. And so I always encourage you guys how I pray for my loved ones, people I'm concerned about. God, please give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance. Because neither one of those things comes natural to us. Ephesians 2.8 By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. He says it is the gift of God. That's why I pray for people to receive the gift of faith. You're saved through faith, but it doesn't come from you. God gives it to you, and guess what? If you ask Him for it, He'll give it to you. So here... We have those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, which is set up in the temple in Jerusalem, as we've seen. 
and probably gets spread all over the planet, over his mark and over the number of his name, 666. And again, there's so much speculation as to what that really means. We talked about the fact that within the universal product code, 66 appears in every number of every universal product code. We also, these are some things that freaked some people out a few weeks ago. <laughs> the internet, www, the Hebrew, vav, 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 guess what that is? 666. Maybe they're coincidental, maybe they're not. I think not. You may think what you choose. So these tribulation martyrs standing before the throne of God had to overcome four hurdles in order to obtain their victory. These four things over the, the beast, his image, his mark, and the number of his name. These same four things that these victors here before the throne have overcome will be the undoing of the vast majority of people alive on the earth during the tribulation. Subscribing and connecting with these four things, the beast, his image, his mark, and the number of his name, will make a person irredeemable. And again, I don't believe in coincidences. Maybe you do. But it was during the 2016 election when Hillary Clinton referred to Trump supporters who by and large were conservative and many of them Christians. And she referred to them or us, if you will, as irredeemable. How did she come up with that word? Where did that come from? Because redemption has to do with being redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, purchased by God. And she called us irredeemable. But as we've talked about so many times, the devil and his minions point at you when in fact the truth is the opposite. As Christians, we've been redeemed. We're not irredeemable. But guess who will be? All of those who subscribe to the beast, his image, his mark, and the number of his name will become irredeemable. And there are a number of men and women that I admire and agree with out there that study prophecy diligently, study what's going on in the world of technology and so forth. Tom Horn, L.A. Marzulli, others who firmly believe that one aspect of the so-called mark of the beast will have to do with an implant, a microchip, some type of an implant or vaccine, which ultimately will alter. And by the way, <laughs> I, I always think I'm not going to get into this stuff, you know? <laughs> but somehow I always do. There are trustworthy, reliable people within the scientific community have clearly stated that the vaccine does alter your DNA, okay? Now again, if you've had it, I pray, I actually pray every night for the unvaccinated and for the vaccinated. And by the way, for the past two weeks, there have been an equal number of deaths from the vaccine as there have been from the virus. So basically take your pick, okay? Take your pick, one or the other. But knowledgeable, reputable, scientific people have said that this mRNA nanotechnology vaccine does mess with your DNA. I don't want my DNA messed with, but if you had it, I'm not trying to strike fear in your heart. I pray for your safety, for your peace, and God is certainly able to protect you either way. He can protect you if you haven't been vaccinated. He can protect you if you have. In Romans it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If God gave you the faith to get the vaccine, then get it. If he gave you the faith not to get it, don't get it. All I'm telling you is that even in this early stage of the game, and that's where we're at, I think, although things are accelerating rapidly. If we already have a vaccine, which they're now... Originally they said, oh no, it'll never be mandatory. Now they're saying maybe it will be mandatory. And I'm saying, uh, I'm tempted to use profanity, I won't. But if they come to my door, I just might. I'm telling you that right now. 
I told you that if you're not a believer, I want to scare the hell out of you. And if they come to my door, I might just tell them to go there. Okay? Where are you going to find a pastor this honest? There are few and far between. It just takes somebody really stupid. And God says, I'm going to use that guy. He's so stupid I can get him to do and say anything. What would make a human being irredeemable? Well, again, great controversy surrounding Genesis chapter 6, although many uh, Bible teachers, scholars, experts that I identify with and respect hold to the same beliefs that I do, and that is that in Genesis 6, when those sons of God, angelic beings, came down and cohabitated with human women, and they uh, produced the Nephilim, the offspring angel-human hybrids, they created a non-human that was irredeemable. And if you go to the book of Enoch, which is not part of the biblical canon, but many people believe there's a great deal of valuable information in the book of Enoch, Enoch specifically talks about these angelic beings messing around with human DNA almost 6,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. If you no longer have a God-given, God-created human DNA, but you have something else, arguably that can make you irredeemable. Because Jesus Christ died for human beings created in God's image with the DNA that he placed there. So Hillary Clinton comes out with the term irredeemable. Maybe when she practiced the speech, she was looking in the mirror. I've been telling you guys for years, not all of you have been around here that long, but I've been saying it for quite a long time, that all this fascination, all this obsession on TV and the movies with zombies, the walking dead, I've said for years, it is prophetic. It's not a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. And I also believe that the devil hides in plain sight. He puts things out there that people think, oh, that's just fantasy. That's not real. That'll never happen. But we already have zombies walking the streets and through the grocery stores and retail stores. There are people who are wearing masks for no reason. Again, there are many medical reports of the damage being done to people being made to wear masks all day, every day. There are microscopic particles that are released from those masks and they go down into your lungs. And they can cause lung cancer. Again, there are no coincidences, folks. You're breathing back your own carbon monoxide when you're wearing a mask. There were some parents, I might have already told you this before, took their kids' masks and had them analyzed in a lab. They were full of all kinds of bacteria and fungus and viruses and everything else. I've told you so many times, the devil's goal is to destroy the human race. God is pro-life. Satan is pro-death. It ain't rocket science. Oh, I forgot my tinfoil hat today. <laughs> and I also told you several Sundays back that as believers, not only are we victors, God has given us an anointing, it says in 1 John, to discern truth from error. We have Discernment from the Holy Spirit. Listen to him. He will tell you the truth. Jesus says, I send another comforter, the counselor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside to teach you, to guide you, to lead you into all truth. And yet how many of us listen to the devil and the world and the fake news and everything else? Listen to the Spirit of God. He will not lead you astray. And Paul warned about those that come and preach another gospel. Even if it be an angel from heaven, as he tells the Galatians. But you've got to use your discernment. There's a lot of false teachers out there. Just like there's fake news, there's the fake gospel. 
the fake church, the fake preachers and teachers. You've got to use the discernment that the Holy Spirit gives you. And if it doesn't clearly line up with the Word of God, you must reject it no matter how good it makes you feel. Wow, I wish I'd, I... There was an article that I wanted to share with you guys and I just kept forgetting to print it out. But it was all about... And again, we watched the video before the wrath and they broke it down to where, unbelievably, perhaps as few as 15% of those in the church are genuine, bona fide Christians. It's not being legalistic. It's not being judgmental. It's just speaking the truth and speaking the facts. Way before any of this kicked into high gear, I had a concern in my heart and mind for many years, how many people in the church are really born again? All across America, all the churches, the big churches, the small churches, millions of people who go to church. How many truly know God? How many are, how many are deceived? How many think they're right with God and they're not? That's a scary thought. Well, guess what? My worst fears have become a reality. Now, I know this church isn't like that. Because if you're not a real believer, you won't stay here very long. In fact, there are some who are real believers and they still didn't stay. <laughs> At least I think they're real believers. So here they are, the victors before the throne. They sing the song of Moses. And this song is recorded for us, by the way, in Exodus 15. It's 18 verses long. I'm just going to read verse 1. And the title in my Bible here says the Song of Moses, Exodus 15, 1. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord. This is after they'd been delivered from Pharaoh and his army when God parted the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites crossed over. The, the Egyptians tried to do the same. It didn't work out <laughs> for them, did it? They drowned. Here's the song, the beginning of it. I will sing unto the Lord. He has triumphed gloriously. Have you ever heard that song? Horse and rider thrown into the sea. That's the first verse of the song of Moses. And they're singing that song before the throne because like the children of Israel under Moses, they have the victory. It's a song of victory, triumph, and deliverance. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. I just love it in the Bible you know, again, we talk about the world and how they tell you you need to build your self-esteem and you need to think more highly of yourself and all. We see the greatest men and women of God in the Bible and they're referred to by titles like the servant of God. Paul, he said, I'm you know, the chief of all sinners. I'm the bond slave or bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. John in his writings refers to himself as an elder in the church. He said... I'm the Apostle John, better listen up. We see the humility, because all the glory should go to God. And God will not share his glory with anyone. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. So according to God, Moses' greatest quality was his servanthood. Matthew 20, 25 and 26, Jesus called them, the disciples, to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. servant, Just like Moses, the servant of God. The Bible says if you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord in due season, he will raise you up. He will lift you up. If we humble ourselves, he will lift us up if and when he chooses to do so. They sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, what is this song? Well, it's contained, at least in part, in the next two verses. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of Saints. So this is the first part of the song of the Lamb. And notice in this song, they refer to Jesus as Lord God Almighty and King of the Saints. It's the song of the Lamb, but they refer to him as God Almighty. So anybody who ever tries to tell you, well, no, you Christians are all mixed up, you're confused. Jesus never claimed to be God. The scriptures are replete with references of, 
to Jesus as God. Okay, verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Ultimately, all men will fear him. This is still part of that song of the Lamb here. Romans 14, 11, It is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 9 and 10, Therefore God has also has highly exalted him, Jesus, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, already buried. We've talked about this. There will be a resurrection of the unrighteous as well, but it's not a resurrection unto life. It's a resurrection unto eternal punishment and torment. See, those that are hoping against hope, that worst case scenario, they don't believe in God, they don't choose to believe in God, they don't choose to acknowledge God, and they're hoping worst case scenario, I just die and that's it, I cease to exist. No, it's not that simple. Everyone is going to be around forever, but only believers will live forever. Others will exist. It'll be an eternal state of consciousness, but it won't be life. Because every moment throughout eternity, they will want to die with all that is within them, and they can't. We can't even begin to imagine. Just like we can't even begin to really imagine the glories of God's eternal kingdom. It's so far beyond, you know, all that we can imagine. Eye has not seen, ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. So as much as we're able to conjure up within our own hearts and minds how awesome it might be, it doesn't even begin to compare to what it really is. Well, if that's true for us and for, for eternity, for paradise, then it's equally true for those on the other side in the opposite direction. No one can possibly ever imagine how horrible it will be. And if they could, I think everybody on the planet would get saved in a heartbeat. We can't possibly imagine the torment. We can only try, but it's going to be beyond anything that we can imagine. And I've pointed this out before as well. Every knee will bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth Here's what's really sad. All those who reject Christ, all those who wind up spending eternity in hell, separated from God, separated from the joy, the peace, the righteousness, all the wonderful attributes of his eternal kingdom, they're still going to have to bow the knee to Jesus anyway. Before they are cast into hell for all eternity, they will have to bow their knee to Jesus, only then it won't do him any good. It's too late. So why not just do it now and get the benefits? Right? Anybody listening at home on the internet, TV, whatever it might be, please receive Christ as your Lord and Savior before it's too late. You will never regret receiving him, but you will regret not receiving him for all eternity. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? Ultimately, all men. For you alone are holy. Only God, Jesus, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, is truly holy. The only way we can ever be holy is to have His holiness imparted to us as we put our faith, hope, and trust in Him. You alone are holy. So they're worshiping before the throne. They're singing this song of the Lamb. For all nations shall come and worship before you. And this is speaking specifically, and this is why, in spite of the fact that the preterists believe that all these things have already happened, it's all past history, this is speaking specifically of the millennial reign of Christ over the earth, which hasn't happened yet. Habakkuk 2.14 for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What percentage of the sea is covered with water? 100%. We are not yet at a place by a long shot with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the whole planet, are we? 
This is speaking of the millennial kingdom of Christ when all non-believers have either died during the tribulation or will be cast out when Jesus returns, the separation of the sheep and the goats. Then the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord because there will only be believers inhabiting the planet, which was God's goal from the beginning. Why would God create a world with the intention of filling it with people who didn't believe in him? That wasn't his plan. Adam and Eve goofed it up. Zechariah 14, 16, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, and again, there will be that final persecution launched by the Antichrist, but it's already happening, folks. If you follow the news at all, you know that anti-Semitism is rising again all over the world. For no good reason, the Jews are being persecuted horrendously again even after they said after world war ii never again right good luck with that because the devil hates god's people whether you're a jew or a christian he hates you and so it was only a matter of time before all this anti-semitism rose up again and even with people in churches the liberal churches the fake churches they're anti-Israel, anti-Jew. Boy, it's not a good idea to go against God's people. It never turns out well for you. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, this is the end of the tribulation, beginning of the millennium, Christ has returned with us, which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. God came and made his dwelling place among us, as it says in John chapter 1. He tabernacled among us. That's why there are those who believe that the rapture will take place in the fall, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Remains to be seen. All nations shall come and worship before you. Again, that's not happening right now. We've got all these different belief systems, all these religions in the world, and they're all going to come together under that one universal religion of the Antichrist. But when Christ returns, there will only be one faith on the earth, and it will be faith in him. And the people who are left of all the nations, who survive and are not cast out because they are believers, will go up year to year, and then they will produce offspring to repopulate the earth with believers. But as we know, at the end of the millennium, at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's another uprising. Boy, God gives the human race so many chances, you know? And over and over again, we just prove that we are vile, wretched sinners, and our only hope is Jesus Christ. And here's this last part of this Song of the Lamb. For your judgments have been manifested... Speaking of all these judgments that have been poured out during the tribulation, which will be completed and fulfilled through the seven bold judgments and the battle of Armageddon, which we went over a couple weeks ago. All right, verse 5. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. This is the real eternal temple in heaven, the earthly temple, which right now doesn't exist, but will be rebuilt during the tribulation, but that's not the temple of the Messiah. It's actually the temple of the Antichrist. Jesus will build his own temple when he comes back. But these are all reflections of the true eternal temple in heaven. So he looks, John looks, and the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. So these angels, these seven angels, are about to go forth and unleash the final judgments upon the world. You might wonder, well, gosh, why is it so glorious? You've got the, uh, they're clothed in pure bright linen. They've got their chests girded with golden bands because even though it's wrath poured out on an unbelieving world from God's perspective, it's a celebration because finally the kingdom of Christ will be established upon the earth. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls, 
And again, to the world, this wrath will be horrific. But from the heavenly perspective, the bowls are golden because this represents everything that God is. We sang that song this morning, uh, righteousness and mercy, judgment and grace and all that, all those attributes of God. One of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So one of the cherubim here is assigned the task of imparting to the seven angels the bowls containing the wrath of God. And then verse 8, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. This smoke, which also had, has been manifest in times past, here on the earth, the glory of God is called the Shekinah glory. And we see it in Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went before them, the Israelites, in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. So God literally physically manifested himself in their presence to lead them and guide them from Egypt to the promised land. And he did it in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. And then in 2 Chronicles 7, 1, Solomon was blessed with building the temple. David was not allowed by God to build the temple because he was a man of blood. He was a warrior. Solomon was not a warrior. He was a man of peace. So God allowed Solomon to complete David's vision for building the temple. When they went to celebrate, Solomon had finished praying. Fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Just like what we see here in Revelation 15. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The temple in heaven, the real temple, filled with the smoke from the glory of God. I found that interesting because we see another phenomenon in today's churches where uh, these seeker-friendly emergent churches with their smoke machines and their lights and so forth, to me they're just simply trying to counterfeit the real deal. You can't counterfeit the Shekinah glory with a smoke machine or a vape pen. You ever drive by these cars and this huge cloud of smoke just pours out? It's so weird. It's so we but it ain't the Shekinah glory, folks. I'll tell you that. They can keep all their hocus-pocus. I'll take the real deal. That's just me. And so no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So you could say that no more worship before God's throne until the judgments are completed. This is a signature moment in human history, in time as we know it here on the earth, where things are somewhat frozen in heaven while this most serious and devastating of all the plagues the last seven plagues, the seven bold judgments. And again, we've talked this morning about how we can't ever really possibly imagine how glorious heaven will be. We can't ever really possibly imagine how horrific hell will be. And we think we've had it rough this past year and a half with the pandemic. Kindergarten, folks. Child's play. Romper room. Dairy queen. What's coming upon this planet, if people could truly see it, again, nobody would be unsaved. Everybody would be on their knees and on their face before God right now. Let's stand. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Close our eyes. If you have a prayer request this morning, please raise your hand. I'd like to pray for you. Just lift it up there and we will pray for you right now. Father God, you see every hand. You know every person. There could be someone here today, Father, that wants to be saved that does not have an assurance of salvation. They're not certain within their own heart and mind that they've been born again by the Spirit of God. But you told us, Lord, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. I do pray that you'd impart right now to them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance, Lord, that they would understand, yes, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We have to believe that you exist, Lord, and that you reward those who diligently seek you. We also have to repent, which means we need to turn from our old way of life, our old sinful lifestyle, and begin a lifestyle of following Jesus. So, Lord, if there's anyone like that here today, I pray that right now you would enable them to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the one and only sacrifice for their sins on the cross of Calvary, that they would welcome you into their hearts and minds, that they would be washed by the blood of the Lamb, by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansed from all sin and filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those needing a touch in their physical bodies that you would pour out your healing oil upon each one, Lord, whether it's something major or minor. Lord, we know you care about every detail of our lives, whether it's a sprained ankle or cancer or heart disease or diabetes, whatever it is, in Jesus' name, we pray right now for healing. Father, we ask that you would curse those diseases and afflictions within our bodies, pour out your healing upon us that we might serve you to the very best of our ability as long as you see fit to keep us here on earth. God, for those with mental and emotional issues, anxiety, fear, doubt, worry, anger, depression, uh, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. Lord, help us to give all that over to you right now. We ask that you would just take those things from us. We renounce any of those things, Lord, that we've been holding on to and ask you just to fill us with your peace and your joy in Jesus' name. Lord, for those in need of healed relationships, whether it be a marriage, a friendship, a co-worker, Lord, help us to be peacemakers. Help us to do our part and then to trust you for the rest. Lord, help us to be the first to reach out for reconciliation when needed. Lord, help us to humble ourselves. Lord, even if we don't have any knowledge of wrongdoing, we can still be peacemakers. We can still humble ourselves and be proactive in bringing healing to broken relationships. Father, for financial issues, whether it's a need for a job or more income, Lord, bills that have gone unpaid, Lord, we know that you can help us with all of that. And Lord, wherever we may have failed and come short and created problems for ourselves, we ask your forgiveness, your wisdom, your guidance. But Lord, we know you're a God of grace, mercy, love, forgiveness. And Lord, we ask you to help each and every one here today who might have a financial problem right now. And Lord, that you would help us as the body of Christ when we become aware of situations that we're able to help with, that we would do so. Lord, James taught us that faith without works is dead. If we see somebody in need and we have the ability to help them, we are to do so. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are our source for everything we need in this life, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. Lord, I just lift each one of these folks up to you now in Jesus' name. And I pray that you'd receive our final offering of praise this morning here as Nikki leads us with one last song. In Jesus' name, amen.